there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. No pills gonna kill my head. I got a the doctor is in. All right, Dr. Batar is back. We're kicking in our second week of advanced medicine here on the Robert Scott Bell Show. And, uh, Doc, we had uh, Mike Adams, our good buddy, who you know very well as well. On We talked about um, some psych- psychiatric issues, but I really want to talk about where he went with his CWC labs and, and analysis and testing of pesticide residues, in foods and water. And now there's another lab out there that has revealed heavy levels of arsenic and other heavy metals found in glyphosate, right? That roundup that we've been talking about is the roundup. How bad is it? How much does it is it say in the, in the soil? Can it be removed? It's not only the roundup, but apparently laced with loads of other things that we already know to be dangerous. Yeah. It's interesting that you take the, in the seven toxicity thought process, you take the first toxicity, heavy metals, and the second toxicity, the persistent organic pollutants, and you combine them into a hybrid form of uh, of destruction. And you know what would that be? That would be heavy metal and a persistent organic pollutant combined in the same substance. And that seems to be what this is. I didn't know that there were heavy metals within uh, within. Well, they're uh, not. De- you no shouldn't idea. know. They're not declared. They're not on the label. This is something that an independent lab analysis has found out with these gly- glyphosate-based herbicides. And of course, we know they're, they're disrupting liver function, endocrine uh, function. They, they work as an antibiotic. They're neurotoxic and also carcinogenic. And of course, you add in the heavy metals on, the, on their own are bad enough, right? You start throwing these right. things all together and you wonder why any of us are well at all. Any of us don't have cancer. Yep, you're exactly right. That's been one of the things that I've said long for a long time now, that I'm amazed with all the stuff that we do to our bodies and all the exposures that we have, all the toxicities that we, uh, on a consistent basis, expose ourselves to. I'm surprised that every one of us, are, every human being on the planet, is able to even just walk and talk and you know, mm-hmm. just be still human. Because if you take from an engineering perspective, if you look at a mechanical perspective, you look at a car, you put sugar inside a car engine, what happens to that engine? I mean, it sputters, it fries the engine, the car won't run anymore. But look what we do to ourselves, how many pounds of sugar, how many hundreds of pounds of thousands of pounds of sugar we put into this machinery, the human body, and we still expect it to keep on going. And I'm just using sugar as an example. Um, just There's so many things that we do to the body. We put so much garbage in. I mean, you take an engine, any kind of engine, if you don't put in the specific weight oil and a specific type of gasoline, it's not going to run. Then look at what we put into our bodies. How, many, yeah, how, how much of- redundancy is built in or adaptability is built into the human body, the animal body? But I think about, they mentioned arsenic specifically. And in my research going back into the mid 20th century and the so-called polio epidemic, a lot of uh, the apples and the fruits in the summer people were eating were being sprayed with, was it lead arsenate? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And that's very neurotoxic. And they wonder and they think, well, it must be a virus. It's like, again, the virologist versus the toxicologist and still the virologists are winning the PR game, but we're catching up as these independent researchers now, Seralini and group, are figuring this thing out. There's a lot of toxic poison manifesting as disease that then we blame. We don't 
but they do often in the in the in the media at the CDC level blame on pathogens, whether it be viral, bacterial, or fungal, and they may be incidental or coincidental to the detrimental impacts of these heavy metals or in combination with glyphosate now Roundup. Yeah. And see, the thing with arsenic specifically that's different, that's unique, um, and I'm not sure it's that unique, but I know, like, for example, lead does share this characteristic. I know uh, mercury does uh, as well, but arsenic's been shown to actually accumulate in in animals and bioaccumulate. So lead, for example, will do that too, and it gets stored inside the body. Most of these metals, when they bioaccumulate, they end up having certain reservoirs that are more, um, there's a greater propensity for certain reservoirs within the body. So for example, mercury has a greater propensity for fat. So it gets stored inside the brain uh, within the pericardial tissue, the, 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 um, the fat that surrounds the pericardium. Um, lead is with bone. Uh, cadmium is mostly the lung parenchyma. You see many of these metals also in the renal parenchyma within the kidneys themselves. But arsenic is another one that um, has, I don't remember where exactly it accumulates, but it, it does bioaccumulate. And so the small amounts of any of these things that bioaccumulate in foods, they tend to increase the burden of the body. So it's not just what you're taking in, mm -hmm. but it's also what you took in previously because it's not being expelled like waste. Other waste is expelled. Right, the right. Certain metals, the body will expel naturally anyway, but ar ar arsenic is one of those that tends to um, have uh, more of a bioaccumulation in the, in the system. It's interesting, too, homeopathically, when I work with arsenicum album, which is the homeopathic form of arsenic, the impact largely is on the adrenals. Interesting. Probably kidneys as well. And it probably manifests that way because they identified the poisoning of, the, of, the, of those systems or those organs and the glands, per se. But if I utilize homeopathic arsenic, this is another thing that was fascinating about the homeopathic principle, that when you initiated a homeopathic signaling with arsenic, that they in the rat test, they, they measured the urine output of arsenic and suddenly it just started dumping out of the body as if, as if there was a signaling from an energetic form, if you will, a very dilute but uh, potentized, as we say in homeopathic, form of the arsenic. Hmm. So is this, is this true with all the heavy metals and with... Um if you have a homeopath, if you have a homeopathic remedy for a specific metal, would that be the case with all the heavy metals? Yes, I, I think with arsenic, for some reason, it seems to be much more uh, responsive. Right when you talk about mercury, it's very deep. You know, you talk about the fat soluble right. aspect of it. That I would use it, and I always do, and recommend it as an adjunct. But in the cases of those who have been severely poisoned through vaccination or other sources, we've talked about your expertise in utilizing the intravenous chelation to grab it in a, in a desperate attempt to throw it out as fast as possible before there are lifelong, devastating, irreversible consequences. Yeah, and I've told you that we use a specific homeopathic uh, remedies in a non-oral form mm -hmm. that we do before the IVs to actually increase the dumping, if you will, we yes. call it dumping. Mm -hmm. And um, we have specific ones for heavy metals, specific ones for persistent organic pollutants that we do before the treatments for the actual uh, removal of those metals or persistent organic pollutants or to break them down so the body can eliminate them. But it's almost like a precursor. It's almost like a warm-up or not, so, not a warm-up, but just it's, it's the first part of the treatment that we do. Yeah. And we have seen a, a marked improvement in yield. I, I consider it a sensitization, right? We're talking about subtle energies, but yet... Uh, you know, even though we're going in as you, as you do aggressively in follow-up, it really alerts the metabolism that, Hey, you know, pay attention to this. This is where we, it's sort of like 
if we think about it in terms of intent, intention, right? When we have mm-hmm. intention in our lives, how does that set the stage for energy? Like you've said so many times where attention goes, energy flows. And I feel like that homeopathically, we're helping to signal the body in that way. Yeah, that makes total sense. <clears throat> I think that's probably, it's probably something that's more, that's probably more prevalent, that thought process in, in all aspects of life than we realize it. And so taking that general principle and applying it from a homeopathic principle that you're talking about, it makes total sense. I, I find that to be true with uh with even even like when you're driving down a road, for example, and you see um, an item in the middle of the road, like let's say a, a box that's fallen from a car or something else. So they say that you should never look right at the box because if you're looking at the box, you're going to end up hitting the box. You need to look past the box, and that's how kids are trained when they're going through the driver's ed program. You know, you always look down the road. You look, you never look at where you're going. You look all the way down, and it's easy to uh, avoid the box, but where attention goes, energy flows. So you look at that box, you will end up invariably hitting that box. Mm-hmm. So it's an ass, it's, a, it's a component that I think is a universal component that we need to remember that too, just from a disease standpoint or from any type of um, um, negative thing that you're dealing with in life. You know, if you start putting your mind at that point, at that particular thing, you're actually just feeding it. And so, um, and I actually needed to hear this for myself really because Again, where attention goes, energy flows. So you don't want to put attention towards that negativity because you're fueling it. Put attention towards what the outcome that you want or what you want in life because that's where the energy will flow. Right, exactly. And, and you know, there are a lot of things that we don't know the the detailed machinations of the way the body works. You know, you, if you're trained in a certain way, you can study it and learn it. But in a lot of in a lot of ways, you can. This is where some people will say philosophically, and I believe it's true. You can actually think of a remedy. And that energy of that remedy, you might not have any idea of it, but just the thought form will resonate with that energy. And so there's so much more to healing than what we rely upon in terms of physical manifestation of even a homeopathic medicine, which, you know, listen, I'm a homeopath. I rely on homeopathic remedies, but I don't limit that that homeopathy can only work in the way it's described as far as described how to make it according to the pharmacopoeia. There's so much more to energy that we now have to embrace again because we've we've driven so far from it because we've co- become collectivist, materialistic, reductionist in a societal sense and in a medical sense, Dr. Batar. You've had to hit that head on in your profession. Yeah, so I think it's probably true with everybody has had to deal with this uh, when they're dealing with something new, bringing something new to the table, whether it's uh, in the medical realm or, or you know, in the um, media realm, for example, which you've had to do, uh, or or anything, agriculture, anything sustainable, uh, you, in any type of industry, whenever there's a new innovative thought that disrupts the status quo, those that already hold the power that are threatened by anything new or any type of new innovation, because they would then, of course, lose their power, their, their control, their fiefdom, if you will, they'll lose that. So that's why they're vested in preserving the old and preventing the new, innovative, more effective methods of whatever it is that we're dealing with, whatever industry you're dealing with to come in. So um, it's probably something that everyone has to deal with on some level. But I know that with the media, for example, you could apply that same principle. I don't know what today is. Today must be the day that we just apply certain general principles and see how they're, they're universally applicable in all aspects of life. I guess so. But it's a good good thing as we kick into a new year. That's when people tend to be more sensitive or, or, or wanting or desirous of that awareness to say, you know what, I want to I want to make this year different. Right. And for those of you who just pray to have it different, that to me, that's I'm not going to say it's a cop out, but sort of is because I think we're at 
asked to engage a little more actively than just to be passive, right? It's okay to be passive once in a while to relax, chill out, listen, right? Maybe you get a message that way, but we are asked to engage in that difference, that distinction by making better choices. We talked about that last hour with the health ranger as far as food quality. We've just addressed it with glyphosate and heavy metal combination. We've got to make better choices about what goes into our body, including the sugar in the gas tank scenario. We have an article about sugar. Does it actually feed the creation of cancer? That's next with Dr. Batar. Um, can you repeat the part of the stuff where you said all about the things? It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. Robert will be right back. Rocking the health world through the power of radio. It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. All right, Advanced Medicine continues here. We've got advancedmedicine.com is also linked up in the show notes at robertscottbell.com. You can go back. There are hundreds and hundreds, I, I think in the thousands of hours now, of shows with Dr. Batar doing advanced medicine. You'll never run out of awesome, awesome radio that is real and real healing, too, empowering to you. And Dr. Batar, uh, you mentioned putting sugar in the gas tank. And, you know, that's an analogy that's often used when you talk about the mechanics of a car and how you can break it down by putting the wrong things in. Well, there's, there's some relevance to that concept in terms of the human gas tank putting sugar in, although we know we utilize sugar as energy within the body. The question about eating anything with sugar and instantly manifesting cancer. A recent study published by Belgian biologists found a relationship between glucose and activation of a gene that stimulates the growth of cancer cells. Now, this led to the public fear that everything with sugar should be avoided as it will ca cause or feed cancer. Now, is there an overreaction on this issue or should we be paying attention to that scientific reality? Well, cancer is an obligate glucose metabolizer, which means that it, in order for cancer to survive, it needs to feed on sugar. And um, so it would not be a huge extrapolation to think that, well, sugar um, doesn't cause cancer, but would feed cancer. And we all have cancer. Everybody has cancer cells. This, any, the definition of cancer is basically a cell that has... Uh, Basically, uh, uncontrolled cellular, the characteristic of a cell that has cancer or of cancer cells is uncontrolled cellular proliferation and suppression of apoptosis. So if you have cells that follow those characteristics, then you feed them sugar, theoretically, that yes, you're going to be feeding the cancer. So from that standpoint, that makes sense. Um, but, you know, it's not just cancer. Think of sugar and the relationship between cardiovascular disease. So we've got the all the studies we've always associated with diabetes, but about 10, 15 years ago, all the cardiac literature started coming out that it's actually the sugar and uh, insulin resistance that's created that leads to cardiovascular disease as well. So if you're looking at cancer and heart disease, which represent more than 80% of all deaths in the industrialized world, mm -hmm. so the remaining 20% is represented by all of the disease processes, homicide, suicide, wars, natural disasters, et cetera. Um, so eight out of 10 deaths are actually coming from cancer or heart disease. And if there's one substance that is associated with both of those, and that's being sugar, I think that would be enough justification to reduce sugar intake. Mm -hmm. Dr. Batar, I've, I've kind of reclassified the term insulin resistance specifically as chromium deficiency, because we know the mechanics of delivery of, sh of sugar into the cells is dependent upon that mineral. And so they, in, med in the medical realm, they've 
identified this, hey, some for some reason the insulin is not working, something's going on. They call it resistance. And then when we replenish the stores of chromium, we see a reversal of that manifestation, if that makes sense. Yeah. So chromium deficiency, you, you and I have talked about this off the air, I know a number of times, but uh, I guess the type of chromium makes a difference as well. Yes. And we know that heavy metals, you know, the, the, the speciation off the metal makes a very big difference in mm -hmm. how destructive it can be and how well it assimilates in the body. And I think that's true with all minerals and metals. And so, uh, yeah, I think that that would make sense because chromium does sensitize the cells or sensitizes the process of whatever the process is, wherever the chromium is being utilized as a enzymatic cofactor to help um, upregulate the metabolic pathways that are necessary in order to burn the sugar. So that's the Krebs cycle and, mm -hmm. you know, within the mitochondria and all the different places where minerals act as trace um, enzymes or, or act as catalysts to allow these reactions to take place. So it would make sense that chromium would make the system more sensitive to insulin. Yeah. And once again, when we talk about, uh, I don't want people freaking out and never having anything with natural sugars in, in, in the food. Cause that's just an, it's also a naturally occurring substance in the, in the food. However, we look at things with high contents of sugar and we'll find high levels of minerals, particularly chromium like sugar cane. So I think God didn't make a mistake about why he placed those minerals in those particular foods to help us deal and metabolize safely with things that become unsafe. Once you've refined all of the minerals out. Yeah, I think that's a really, really good point that you just made because naturally occurring sugars are very different than than sugars that it's kind of like when you look at flour, they take out all out all the benefits of flour and then they refortify it and they put certain things back in. But that's just not the you know that's not how God designed it. So um, anytime you deal with a synthetic sugar or a sugar that's refined, you're losing a lot of the mineral content. So that's very important to remember. Natural sugars act differently and they don't feed a cancer or any other detrimental process. Yes. And as cool as the science is, when we observe and we report on it, they often don't go to the levels that we do with advanced medicine, folks. So keep on tuning and tell your friends the place for health, freedom and healing liberty. Six days a week, Dr. Batar, I can only get him one day a week. He's a busy guy too, but we have a great time together. Check it out. RobertScottBell.com, AdvancedMedicine.com. Coming back with more powerful healing. Live around the world. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Robert Scott Bell. Taking on bureaucrats and corporations that would stand in the way of health freedom. Here's Robert. All right, the Medical Rewind site, which has been up for years, is still up and apparently is still the best place to go. MedicalRewind.com for the archives with Dr. Batar and I uh, chatting up this advanced medicine concept and putting it into reality week after week after week. Such a, It's like an encyclopedia of information. You, you'll never get tired of it. I never get tired of it. I, I always look forward to this time of the week, Dr. Batar, with you. And, you know, we throw these uh, articles out, Super Don uh, finds, or some of them I even find. This one in particular caught my attention from... Uh, J.B. Handley, and it, it goes into, uh, the headline is intriguing, you know, alone FDA scientists could end the autism epidemic. I'm thinking, really? But would they? Would they really? What is this lone scientist? What would he say? What could he say, Dr. Vitar, based on the science that was then and the science that is now? Well, it appears that this, uh, the scientist, uh, Robert J. Mitkus, um, I don't even know what a computational toxicologist is, hmm. but apparently he's a computational toxicologist at the Center for Biologics Evaluation Research at the FDA. 
And he published a paper, he has a PhD in toxicology from the University of Maryland, and he published a paper in 2011 uh, entitled Updated Aluminum Pharmacokinetics Following Infant Exposure Through Diet and Vaccinations. And it was in 2011, and it's considered the gold standard in the primary document that the FDA still relies upon to declare if injected aluminum is safe to use in infants or not. And in this, he basically um, says that it's not a concern. And I think that's what JB's point was, the author of this article, that uh, if he were to just tell the truth, because it's, it's clearly not safe. And anybody that would have said that, um, I, I don't think that it's just say, well, it's updated information. No, um, you can take data and you can manipulate the data and come up with whatever you wanted to say. And basically, this guy um, made a recommendation that is being used by the CDC and the FDA, but he sold his soul to the devil. Um, there are many, many researchers that have come out that have said that, that that data is, I mean, it's not correct. In fact, there's a Chris Exley, Dr. Chris Exley from Keele University, who is considered to be the world's leading expert in aluminum neurotoxicology. And, and he basically says that there's uh, no role of human, um, there's no role of, uh, mm-hmm. of aluminum in yeah, in uh, in the tox- in um, use in vaccines, and he also says that he believes that aluminum has a role in autism. And again, you know, whether something has a role or not a role, I mean, I know it's mercury is the biggest uh, culprit because mercury is the only thing that causes the degradation of the neurofibrils, as we are all aware of from the University of Calgary study that we have on the heavy metal toxicity, the hidden killer video. You can actually Google that, and you can see the video of the snail brains that were exposed to uh, it wasn't even direct exposure. It was just mercury being put in a petri dish where the snail brain tissue was growing, and you see how quickly the neuronal tissue degrades. I mean, it's a, it's a, the degeneration is amazing. So the denigration of the neurofibrils, there's nothing else, no other metal that causes that level of denudation. And so when people say that you know aluminum or whatever else, I, I completely agree. All these things. Are poisons and they shouldn't be added in there. Um, and again, how many poisons can the body handle? But uh, he's talking specifically about aluminum in this case. And aluminum, in most people, aluminum comes out pretty easily. So you see high levels of aluminum. And again, I think we need to preface this so that people understand how this works. If you do a heavy metal challenge test and you see loads and loads and loads of aluminum coming out, there's no reason to panic. Okay. In fact, say a blessing. Mm-hmm. Uh, be thankful because when you see high yield of certain metal coming out in a post-challenge test, that means your body's dumping it because those tests are not indicative of what is in your body. They're only indicative of what's coming out of your body. And so if you see a very high level of a certain metal, then you know that your body's dumping it. So that's a good mm-hmm. sign. It's coming out. Sure. It's when it's not coming out, when you see something that is, you know, if you if you do a, a severe autistic child's uh, urine post-challenge profile, you will see that they have virtually nothing coming out or very, very little coming out. And then you start treating them in six months, a year, two years, you will see tons and tons of metals coming out. So I'll give you a quick example. Uh, Robert, we have enough time for me to give an example. Of a yeah, this is uh, a good patient. segment to do this. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So we had a young child um, from the Indian subcontinent who came to us from Great Britain. He lived, his family lived in the UK. And um, this child had very, very severe autism uh, to the point slamming his head in the walls, um, not being able to control his bowel, the bladder, uh, very self-destructive chewing on his hands. So it was a severe, severe case. 
And uh, he would run out in the middle of the streets if his parents didn't restrain him. They were always worried that he would get hit by a car or something. And um, he came to us. He was, I think, four. We did a challenge test on him. And basically, one of the cleanest metal profiles I've ever seen. I mean, just a little blip here of this and a little blip there of that, but nothing that even came within the the normal reference ranges, uh, the end of the normal reference ranges. So you have the normal reference range and anything beyond that's considered to be elevated or then it gets to the toxic range. So generally speaking, in my opinion, there should be no levels of these metals in the body, but they have an accepted normal reference range for these metals. And this child wasn't even close to uh, being at the end limits of those. Um, but severely autistic, and of course, they had already read the stuff about the non-experitive phenomena from the congressional testimony that I did in May of 2004, et cetera, et cetera. So they, they were aware. They, people that seek us out know about the non-experitive phenomena. That's what autism, cancer, they are following the non-experitive phenomena. Their bodies cannot get rid of these metals, and that's why they bioaccumulate in the body and cause the problems that they do. And so we started his treatment, and I don't do any type of um, recovery brain recovery protocol. I do toxic toxicity treatments mm-hmm. for children with autism. And after a year, year and a half, once we know that we've got the low-lying fruit out of the way, then we'll do something to enhance the brain recovery itself. But I don't believe in trying to recover the brain when you've already got the source of poisoning or the source of the burn still mm-hmm. there. So oxidative sure. stress, for example, you know, hyperbarics. I never do hyperbarics in somebody until they've had at least a year and a half of chelation first, because again, oxidative stress, you're increasing oxygen fivefold from a uh, ambient air of 21% oxygen to 100% oxygen in a chamber. But what is the mechanism of damage that heavy metals cause? It's through oxidative stress. So you put five times the amount of oxygen, you're going to increase the oxidative stress five times fold. Mm -hmm. So you should never do hyperbarics in a child with autism unless you've already removed the heavy metals. So that's a very, very quick way of explaining um, this issue. So in this particular child, we started his treatments. Two years, two and a half years, we did metal challenge testing, and then we were getting ready to start his neuronal recovery. And he was better, but he was still autistic. I mean, he wasn't running out in the middle of the streets anymore. He wasn't biting himself anymore. He wasn't, um, you know, he had control of his bowels and bladder. He was able to say a couple of words, but he was still autistic. And right before we started the brain recovery protocol, which is a certain IVs that we do, I just got this feeling, check him for heavy metals one more time. And his dad comes in and he asked me, Dr. Chuck, can we just do one more heavy metal challenge? I said, sure, because we had one from six months before and it didn't show anything. We do a heavy metal challenge test, and normal reference range for um, lead is zero to uh, six, uh, zero to five micrograms per gram creatinine. His mercury, his uh, lead level was 130 something, and mercury is zero to three micrograms per gram creatinine. His mercury was something like uh, 39 micrograms per gram creatinine. I mean, just off the charts, you know, we're like, holy moly. But just to make sure it wasn't an error, I repeated it. On the repeat test, his lead came up over 240, it was like 247 or something. And his mercury is still the highest mercury I've measured in my office, went up from 39 to 87 micrograms per gram credit. Mm -hmm. So this shows the massive yield, massive dumping that's taking place because at this point is when the child's going to start getting better because now we've gotten all the low-lying food, we've we've greased the sleds, if you will, and now the metals are coming out. So the non-excretive phenomena basically means that you're not getting rid of these metals naturally, and that's why they need the assistance from the chelation or, or whatever method you're using to help pull out the metals. And as the metals start coming out, you'll see the levels increase higher and higher and higher, and that's when you start seeing the benefits. So you, anybody that's interested in this, just Google the congressional testimony from May 6, 2004. You can actually get it on our website at drguitar.com, mm-hmm. and you can read that, that whole transcript from the congressional testimony and understand this non-excretive phenomena. Well, Dr. Oh, you can Bittar, get the heavy metal toxicity, the, the hidden heavy metal toxicity, the hidden killer that 
DVD actually explains right. it all. Right, Doctor Batard, does this you know indicate that in in those children that are not responding immediately, that in some children it takes heavy persistence. I mean, you can't just hit it once or twice or three times. In some kids, it is so reluctant to release for any number yeah, absolutely. of Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And in fact, most kids, very few kids will actually show an improvement quickly. I mean, we have had one child that in three weeks had no no speech and went to over 500 word vocabulary. That wasn't even one of my patients. That was a patient of a doctor that um, was using our protocol. And actually the mother called our office and thanked me. And it's actually the the trailer uh, for um, J.B. Handley was sponsoring a video that was a movie that was being produced years ago called uh, Walk on Water uh, or Talk on Water. And it was about autistic kids and surfing. And they did a trailer for the movie. And the audio that they used for the trailer was actually this mom calling in to our office and leaving a message. Mm -hmm. And her daughter went from no words to 500 words in three weeks. But that is very atypical. You know, usually, yeah. like with Abby, it took over five months. But, you know, I've got Your kids son, that... Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I've got kids that have taken, you know, years, multiple years. So I, when Abby's, when I had talked about Abby, I said, I've never, I've had everybody that's responded to treatment has responded within 11 months. And then, of course, I had my first kid that went to 12 months. And, you know, since then, I've had a brother and sister that took almost five years, four and a half years wow. to get them um, talking. And they're, they're now in normal school. They still have a lot of social uh, issues, but they're, mm. they went to normal school, neurotypic. Um, you know, they've, like I said, they have some social uh, imbalances that they're still working through, but that's learned behavior. And they were, they were like 10 and 12 by the time we finally got them straight, but they were severely um, autistic, you know, prior to that. So the point being, again, it took, it takes years in, in mm -hmm. some cases, generally speaking, within a year, two years, you can make enough of an improvement. If you get the child early enough before the age of seven, uh, there's a very, very high chance of uh, full recovery. Um, Dr. Batar, I want to go kid. back briefly to the aluminum study, and I want to make a, a, a reference, a point of reference of the uh, how is in, how is it entered into the body? It seems to make a difference, right? If we ingest something that has aluminum, the GI tract, the microbiome, the things that are there, there are ways that the body can sequester and move it through, like you said. But what was unique about this, what actually did was he was able to autopsy the brains of, of children who had passed away that were autistic and found aluminum, high levels of aluminum all over the brain. And the, the, only, the, the only way they say that that could be possible is if they were injecting it because ingested aluminum doesn't end up there in that context, in that con and in that quantity, if, the, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So the way we get exposed to different things, and again, I'm not well versed in how people get exposed to these things. Um, people ask me all the time, as soon as we measure them, they have a metal level come out, they said, how did I get it? I, I have no idea how they got it. You'd have to you know, look at the whole history, of the, right. the metals, et cetera. Well, but we're gonna come mercury, back. We, we gotta take a break, Dr. Bichar. But yeah, the injected form in a lot of vaccines now contain aluminum adjuvants to aggravate the immune system so they can elicit an antibody response. But what is this aluminum really doing? long-term detriment we'll talk about it and a whole lot more one more segment to go on the robert scott bell show advanced medicine monday who'd you say that masked man was it's a bird it's a plane it's robert scott bell here i come to save the day the information is so good it requires no expiration date. The Robert Scott Bell Show. 
Those of you listening on radio through broadcast syndicator GCN, GCNlive.com, the archives are there almost immediately. Excuse me, after the show. Uh, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, UK Health Radio. Hello, everybody across the Atlantic Ocean there. And SoundCloud. And then again, those of you who are watching on YouTube, please spread the word. Any and all of these places and ways to listen to the show. Two hours a day, six days a week, and our special hour together with Dr. Bittar, uh when we crank it up, second hour of Monday's show. Uh, MedicalRewind.com as well, another aspect of where you can go if you're just really honing in on Dr. Rasha Bittar and Advanced Medicine, you can go right there and find hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of broadcast healing. Uh, so Dr. Bittar, uh, there's another story here. I think it's vaccine related and it, and it goes into repetition, right? Repetition. It's not one, it's dozens perhaps. Headline reads, repeated influenza vaccination helps prevent severe flu in older adults. I, you know, I almost don't know what to say. I mean, they acknowledge that the flu shot works maybe 10, 15% of the time if they even get it right. And also we've acknowledged with the CDC's own statistics used against them that in any given season out of a pool of X number of people, they claim to have flu, cut that down by 85%, maybe 15% of them actually had flu. Everybody else had flu-like symptoms which are not necessarily flu at all, which means there is no flu virus that they're targeting with their flu shot at 10 to 15% claimed efficacy. So it's an absolute mess. So what do they say? Well, maybe if we give them a, enough times, we'll, we'll get closer to that hundred percent mark, Dr. Batar. Yeah. You know, it's like stupidity that's piled up with more stupidity, hoping that the previous stupidity becomes um, <laughs> yes. less, Stupid, like <laughs> <Yes. laughs> that makes sense. Less obvious. Um, I don't know. It's bad. But you know, this fifteen percent, even this fifteen percent claim, it's mm -hmm. so 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 inflated. So there's thousands of strains of uh, of viruses out there that could cause this, and there's even more thousands that haven't even been discovered yet. So for them to predict which virus is going to be the most prevalent one or the one that's going to cause flu this year. It's a statistical, algorithmic, computer-generated model that they use, mm -hmm. you know, which is no different than predicting the stock market or something else like that. And, you know, they may, they, they actually took this, uh, I think they took this uh, chimpanzee and they had him throwing darts at picking <laughs> stocks and he outperformed all the, all the fund managers by his dart throwing. So maybe they should get the guy in the thailand airport who took an overdose of viagra and started flinging poo all over the airport and see what it lands on <laughs> yeah exactly i mean this is so preposterous the way they've got the whole um flu shot uh, ideology and the way they defeat it and the way they try to justify it what i find interesting is in a public venue whenever lecturing or um in any type of uh environment where there's a group of 50, 100 people, and you ask the question, how many people have ever had the flu shot? You have, you know, they raise, raise their hands, and then you ask them, how many of you have had, how many of you have had the flu? And always the same, usually it's the same number of people, but then you ask the correlation. Like for me personally, I've had the flu twice, and it's only two times I had the flu shot, and that was when I was in the Army. That was, you know, in, when I was in my 20s. And pretty much everybody will say, well, I'm not going to ever take the flu shot because the one time I took it, I got the flu so bad, I thought I was going to die. I'm never going to take it. Or, you know, I've only had the flu twice, and both times I had the flu shot, so I'm not taking that crap. Mm -hmm. Most people have had this experience that they took the flu shot, they got the flu, they're not going to take it again. And I think that if you look at the number of people that were getting the flu shot, say, 15 years ago and then 10 years or five years ago, and now, of course, they've got kiosks set up at the airport and 
kiosk set up at the grocery food store for people to get their flu shots. I think they're getting more and more desperate for people to take flu shots. Now, it's not enough that people aren't taking the flu shots. Let's give flu shots to increase efficacy multiple times so no. we can still go through the same number of vials that we we're supposed to sell. I, I, it's I desperate, know. desperate. And it's funny because yeah. in America, they'll look to Australia and they'll say, what was the flu prevalent when they were having the flu? And then it's our turn. And I'm wondering if it like, well, we got that wrong. Well, let's in Australia, let's look to America, their flu season. We'll, we'll pick ours based on that. And then they go back to Australia. Well, it wasn't the right one. Again, it is so silly is, a, is, is not the right word. I can't say the right word on the radio. I'd get taken off of the, the air, but it is, it is stupid. And stupid is as stupid does. We've heard that before. And we've also said, you can't fix stupid. There's no way they can fix the flu shot. <laughs> it's, it's can't fix stupid. I it, like that. It's irreparably harmed. Don't let them irreparably harm you. Dr. Batar, we've done it again. Another great episode of Advanced Medicine. Remember, medicalrewind.com, advancedmedicine.com, drbatar.com. I know there's a lot of places to go. You can find it also all at robertscadbell.com. Ah, man, what a great show. I'll call you afterwards uh, on off the air, Dr. Batar, but tell them what they need to know because okay. we got to go. That the power to heal is invariably yours. The Robert Scott Bell Show.